Welcome to Pioneering Today with Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, home food preservation, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Welcome to Melissa K. Norris and Pioneering Today. And we're going to be talking about on this episode on raising your own grass-fed beef. And many of you um, are interested in raising your own livestock. Um, and so if you are raising your live, own livestock um, already, I hope this gives you some some tips or some maybe some more information. Or if it's something that you're thinking about doing, this can help you um, give you some insight onto things that you'll be um, needing to do and look into. Or if you're just interested in it. Um, if you're like me, I love to learn about new things, even if it's not something I plan on doing right away. Um, I just love to learn about things. I'm, I'm a sponge. That way, I'm always looking to have more information on things. So one of the things that um, we do at our place is, um, I've mentioned it several times, is we raise our own grass-fed beef. Um, and we kind of do this for many reasons. Um, the first and foremost being, I don't want the meat that is primarily in the stores. Um, I don't want pink slime. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't want growth hormones. I don't want antibiotics, that kind of a thing. Um, and you can buy natural grass fed beef and organic beef, um, at the stores, but you know, you pay more for it, which, um, rightly so. Um, but we like to raise our own stuff as much as possible. We like to be as much self-sustainable as we can be. Um, and you know, not dependent upon grocery stores and that kind of a thing. And plus we have, um, property, so we like to help manage our acreage. And one of the ways that we do that um, to keep, you know, the brush and that kind of stuff back is by having a small herd of beef cattle. Um, and I've always, um, I've grown up raising beef cattle, actually. My dad, when I was little, um, at the peak of his herd when I was little, he had, I want to say it was about 120 head of cattle. So, which was actually quite, quite a bit. Um, he has a good amount of property. And so I was just raised... Um, you know, with the ebb and flow of raising cattle, you know, throughout the seasons, of course, in the summertime, there's not as much work um, involved because they just were on the pasture. Of course, there's, you know, the putting up of hay. Um, and then in the wintertime, there's feeding them. There's a little bit more involved than that, but that's kind of the thing of it. So I always grew up having our own um, grass fed beef. So I had never really had store bought beef um, until, you know, unless it, we went to a restaurant somewhere, obviously, which we didn't do very much when I was growing up. Um, or, you know, if I was at someone else's home and they were cooking store-bought beef. So I had never um, cooked with store-bought beef, actually, until my husband and I, the first couple of years we were married, we didn't have cattle. And we had bought beef from my dad. And we kind of misgaged um, how much beef we would need to get us through for the year because we only usually butcher here primarily in the fall, usually around um, October um, is when the butchering happens um, here in the Pacific Northwest. So when we had um, ordered our beef, um, I hadn't ordered quite enough hamburger to get us through the year. We ended up going, we had some steaks and roasts left, but we'd went through all the hamburgers. So we went um, and bought some just regular, you know, ground beef from the store. Uh, you know, it was, um, I think I bought the lean and I could not believe the difference in cooking it. Oh my goodness. Um, it had a weird odor and it wasn't bad or anything like that, but it has a different odor to it. 
And the liquid that came out of it when I was cooking, I could not believe all the stuff that came out of the meat liquid whites, even though I had bought in the lean and the flavor. Ugh. Um, so I vowed there and then that we would never run out of our own grass fed beef again, because I could not eat it. I couldn't cook with it. It smelled. It was just, it was gross. So if you've never had grass fed beef or you've been waiting to try it, oh, please do. Um, the difference is amazing. It really is. In fact, I had talked about it so much um, to a coworker that I was working with that him and his wife went in and purchased from a local farmer some grass-fed beef. And so after they had it, um, I asked him, I'm like, so, you know, how are you guys going to keep doing the grass-fed beef? You're going to go back to the store? You know, what are you going to do? And he's like, my wife will never eat the beef from the store again. She said, this is the only way we're going from here on out. So I'm like, yay. So it really does. Um, there's a huge difference. Um so we raise uh, just a small herd enough um, basically for us. And the difference between when people say grass-fed beef versus what's primarily in the store, unless it's labeled as grass-fed beef, is the the big um, you know feedlots and the big manufacturers of beef um, primarily feed the cows a corn-based diet. Um, so basically their main consumption of food is all corn, which cows were meant to be their grazers. So they're meant to graze on grass or hay, which is dried grass. Um, they weren't meant to be fed primarily a corn or a grain-based diet. So the reason that they do this is one, because corn um, can be a lot cheaper to feed. Um, and two, corn, um, when they mix it up, it puts the fat on the animal faster so they can get more money per head because you buy and pay for beef by the pound. So the fatter the calf, cow is, then there you go, the more money you're going to get. Uh, the problem with that is um, grain fed animals, one, most of the corn, unfortunately, here in the United States is genetically modified corn. So you're getting um, genetically modified beef if they're eating genetically modified corn. Um, and then you don't want an animal that's been pumped through a lot of um, antibiotics, um, growth hormones to make them bigger, that kind of a thing. So that's um, one of the main reasons that we prefer grass-fed beef. Um, and if you want to raise your own grass-fed beef, then you'll need to have, well, there's actually two ways. Um, you'll need to have some property primarily is the best way to go so that um, you have your cattle on your own land. And here, and this is going to vary throughout the United States, of course, with your growth season um, and that kind of a thing. But where we're at, it's estimated that you need about an acre of pasture per cow so that you don't have to feed hay and purchase hay year round. So that kind of just gives you an estimate. And usually one um, one full-size cow um, will one full-size cow, well, it depends on how much, how big your family is and how much beef that you eat throughout the year. But generally speaking, usually about um, a half a cow will feed a good uh, family for a full year. Um, we do anywhere between a quarter and a half. Of course, now my kids are starting to get a little bit older and eat a little bit more. We'll probably keep um, do about a half will last us for a year. Um, so you'll need to have a deep freezer, obviously, to keep your meat that way. Um, so when you're purchasing your cows, um, you're going to want to have a really good fence. Um, keeping your cattle in is important on your property because if they get out and damage the neighbors um, or get out in the road and a car hits them, whatever, you're liable for that. So you want to make sure that you have a really good fence. And cows are not like horses. They will go through fences. So the best um, thing for cattle 
is usually barbed wire or a good high-powered electric fence. Um, where we live, due to power going out um, and just because we're fencing through trees and, and down around and different things, we use barbed wire. Um, I don't use hot wire for my cattle, so we use barbed wire. Um, and so there's going to be a cost of putting in your fence. But usually once your fence is in, you'll have to do repair every now and then. But it's kind of one of those big upfront costs. Once it's in, then you're good to go. So we do barbed wire. And um, an important thing is if a cow can get their head through an area in the fence, that generally they can push enough to just keep on going. <laughs> so you want to make sure that your your fence, your wire is tight. And we use what they call stays. So they're metal stays. And they kind of almost look like a just a long piece of metal that's like woven back and forth. And so you put that on and you thread your strands of barbed wire through that and you put it in the middle between two fence posts. So you have two fence posts, say, spanning, you know, 10 feet. Then in between them at the, at the five foot marker right in the middle is where you'd put your stay. And that way if the cow starts to put their head through the barbed wire, then instead of the barbed wire just spreading and giving enough through to kind of go, they can keep pushing and loosening to get on through, then that helps keep it tight so that they can't get their head through as easily and hopefully won't go through the fence. Um, so that's uh, one thing that, that you'll want to look into is, is what kind of fencing you're going to use. And that's what we use. Um, and as long as you have, usually as long as you have good pasture and they have enough food on their side of the fence, then they're not as likely to try to push through and get out. Um the only other time <laughs> that you may have um, issues is when your cattle go into heat. So if you don't have a bull um, or if there's a bull in a neighboring pasture and your um, cows come into heat, the bull might come on over. Now, if you don't mind that your cows are getting bred, um, then you might not mind that at all. That happened to us one year and it was actually, it was great. My brother had his cattle in the neighboring pasture. Um, our cows had just come into their first heat. We were going to breed them anyways. And the bull hopped the fence and did it for us. And then after they were out of heat, he hopped right back over. So that worked out great, but that doesn't happen very often. So that's one thing. And then cattle are a herd animal. So they feel safest in a herd. Um, so if you're going to have cattle, especially beef cattle out in the pasture, I would recommend having more than one. Otherwise they're going to be, they're going to be lonely. They're going to be more skittish. They're going to be more jumpy. Um, and they're going to be more likely to go through the fence if, if they hear another herd or there's another herd nearby. So that would be my one um, thing to is to look at. And then if you don't have property, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but if you don't have property and you still want to raise your own beef cattle, then you can lease property. And I know quite a few people who actually who do this. Um, so you're going to have to find someone who obviously wants to lease their their property to you and then you're generally still required to um, be in charge of the fencing and then the cattle there so you want to make sure it's not too far from your home or you don't mind driving there and checking on the cattle frequently during the winter it's going to be probably almost every day for feed and water and just check on their well-being um, in the summer it might not be quite as much but then again you know water so for cows to be happy you don't actually have to have a barn um, we do not have a, a barn that they can run into and if anybody has a huge herd you know that's just not the way that it's going to work um, but the important thing is that they have some kind of um, break from the elements. So we keep a part of our pasture forested. So then when it's raining or snowing really hard, then they have some big, really big evergreens to go under to give them some relief. And then the way ours works is we have some wind breaks. So when you get those really big wind storms kicking through, um, they have an area to go to get out of the wind. And then, of course, in the summertime, which here in the Pacific Northwest, extreme temperatures in the summer generally aren't a problem. Um, but you want to make sure they have somewhere to go um, for shade. 
So again, our trees serve that purpose as well. And of course, fresh water is a really um, big deal um, in winter as well as summer. You always want to make sure that you have a good, clean water supply and plenty of water for your animals. So, you know, you could do that in, um, you know, different ways. If an area happens to have a natural water source on it, you know, a creek, river, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, just make sure that it doesn't run dry in the summertime that, and, or that or flooding would be another issue that you would want to keep in mind if you're putting them on pasture that has that. So what we do is we have two big old huge bathtubs. One's just an old cast iron bathtub and then another one is just a newer one that um, I'm not actually sure where we got it. Somebody gave it to us. They weren't using it. And so you just want to plug up the drain hole, obviously. Um, and then we have set up... Um, you could get automatic waterers. So then when the water drops below a certain level, it automatically kicks up. So you'll need um, obviously a well of some kind, some kind of water source that you're um, able to tap into. We just have our own personal well. So we use that. Um, and then in the wintertime, you can also put in, um, it helps keep them from freezing. So you plug that in and it's made to go in water for the stock heater, um, stock tank heaters. And we use those in the wintertime to make sure that the water doesn't freeze over because animals actually need more water in the freezing temperatures to help keep their body temperature up than they than they do generally even in the summertime. Um, so you just want to make sure that you that you think about that for your good water source. And then um, for feed, like I said, um, there's um, pasture obviously during the growing months. And then in the wintertime, um, if you plan on raising and breeding back and actually having a herd of cattle, then you're going to have to look at some how you're going to feed them through the winter months. Um, I know a lot of people will buy like a yearling in the spring and then they will feed it through the spring and the summer and then come fall then they'll butcher it and that way they don't have the cost of buying feed and keeping it through the winter months so that can be an option um, you're going to pay more for a larger animal um, per pound when you purchase it and then you know then obviously that'll be on the gain which means it's gaining weight throughout the spring and summer and that's why people butcher in the fall because you want to butcher your meat when it's on the gain um so as soon as um fall comes that's when everybody butchers because the animal has the most weight on it and you're going to get the most um from the animal so that's why people do that um but like i said then you're going to have the yearly cost of buying an animal um, so we prefer actually to just keep, um, a herd. So we have two, we have two cows. So terminology is a girl cow when it's first born is called a heifer and a heifer is a cow that has never been bred. So we keep two cows, um, and we breed them back every year. And then the other terminology that you'll hear is a, is in cattle is a steer. So a steer is a boy cow that has been neutered. Um, and then you have your bull. So I'm, I'm figuring you guys know from there. <laughs> um, and so most people for, prefer to butcher steers for the reason that obviously they can't, they're not going to help with their breeding because they're a steer. Um, and they generally are bigger um, if you have a two-year-old cow and a two-year-old steer. Normally the two-year-old still will be quite a bit bigger and you're going to get more money per pound Um or per animal, not per pound, excuse me, per animal because it weighs more. So that's why a lot of people prefer to um, butcher steers and sell and move their steers. Um, and so we keep two cows and breed them back every year. And we butcher our cattle when they're two years old. Um, we have butchered them when they're a year old, but you're not going to get as much meat. And so we've just found 
that it's better for us to wait until they're two years old to butcher them. And so we have a, a you know, rotation. We, we breed our two cows, they have their babies. Um, and so one year we went without butchering in order to get this rotation. So when you have cattle, if you decide that you want to keep a herd, you're going to need to look at your property to see how much that you have available for how many head you're going to be able to support. And we do between, um, between six and eight, depending on where it is during the time of the year and, and butcher time. And so you'll also need to look at um, breeding back. How are you going to breed back your heifers? I mean, excuse me, your cows. Um, and generally, you don't want to breed an, a cow until she's at least a year to a year and a half old. So if you're going to be getting a heifer and you want to raise her up to be your breeding stock, then you need to know that you're going to be feeding her for about a year and a half before you're able to breed her. If you breed them too young, then when they go to calve, that there can be problems with the calf getting stuck because the mom isn't large enough for the, the calf to get through yet. Um, so if you're going to keep a bull on your property, then you need to make sure that you're keeping that bull separate from your young cows that aren't ready to be bred yet. Um, otherwise, you're going to have um, either a vet bill or you're going to have to help pull the baby or both the baby and the mom might die in birth. Um, we actually, we've been raising our own cattle now, my husband and I for, oh goodness, I think five years. Um, and knock on wood, we have never had a vet bill or a problem. Um, but when I was little and my dad's herd, of course, when you have a herd of, you know, a hundred more cattle, there's going to be uh, more issues that pop up. And we never uh, used a vet. But he did have a couple of cows that got bred too early. Um, he had a bull that actually threw um, large babies. So if you're buying a bull, you're going to want to ask the history, you know, what kind of size babies does he throw? Do they have small heads, big heads, certain breeds um, tend to have larger heads, that kind of a thing, which is going to um, could cause problems during birthing. So we actually, I've helped pull um, baby calves before, and sometimes it works great. You help get them out. Um, mom and baby are great. Other times you lose the mom. And then you have the baby to take care of, which you have to bottle feed. Um, or you lose the baby and not the mom or sometimes both. So so that's something if you're breeding that you're going to want to investigate. Um, so, so far, my husband, I've just been fine. Actually, we had uh, last night, we had a new um, little baby bull that was born. Oh, he's so cute. He's this little chocolate brown color. He's just darling. Um, and for me, when they're babies, they are just so cute. And I love watching them run around the field and play. But once they get big and you've chased a couple cows that got out, I have no problem butchering them. Um, and neither do my kids. We, they know that our cattle are for beef. Um, they've known it their whole life. Um, you know, the cattle are, are part of our family life, but they also know that that's where their food comes from. And so, um, it's actually great. Um, we take pride in taking very good care of our animals. Um, and there's never been a problem with knowing where the meat on our table came from, um, emotionally or <laughs> physically. So that's always been a good thing. Um, so if you want to keep a bull, those are some things you're going to need to look out for. And then you're also going to have to remember either you're going to be having to sell your cows after about three years, or you're going to have to be rotating your bull out, selling your bull every couple of years because you don't want to do inbreeding. Um, so that's another factor to consider in. Or if you have a small herd, which we do, as we use someone else's bull. So we will take our cows to someone else's bull and have them bred that way. Um, you need to keep track of their heat cycle. So, you know, when they go into heat, how long they need to be there um, and then bring them back. And a cow's gestation period is that of a woman. So it's um, about nine months. Um, and so it's preferable for babies to be born in the spring and to have all of uh, spring and summer to go through and fall before they go into the hard winter months. Um, so early spring um, is when most people prefer to have their 
their calves be born. Um, and so you can go in to a bull, take your, anim- your animals to a bull to have them bred and then bring them back. Or you can do artificial insemination. Um, we just have usually two cows that we take to be bred every year. It's much easier for us to just take our cows down to um, the neighbor's bull and have them bred and then bring them back than it is to deal with artificial insemination. So I don't have experience with artificial insemination, but that is something that a lot of people do that you can look into. Um, and so I would love to hear if you have any questions about raising um, grass-fed beef. I would love to have you leave questions. You can go to uh, melissacanorris.com and hit the podcast button and go to this episode, which is going to be um, raising your own beef cattle. Click on that and down in the comment section, leave me any questions that you have. I would love to hear them and then answer them um, for future shows. So you can do that. And then you also will have um, in the resource section, I will post um, some links to some different articles on raising your own grass-fed beef. And then how if you can't raise your own grass-fed beef, how you can still benefit from people who local farmers who are raising their own grass-fed beef and how you can buy your own and the benefits of that and, and what you need to know and that kind of a thing. So that will be in the show notes. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next time when we're going to be talking with um, Tammy Trayer of Trayer Wilderness on building um, a food storage supply. Her food storage supply is actually three years. So we're going to be picking her brain and learning all about that. So I hope you tune in. Thank you for listening. Make sure to head over to www.melissaknorris.com to subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Pioneering Today with Melissa K. Norris. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simpler life.